So good. You know, I came down here the other, the other day, and I, I stood out here on the stage, and I looked down, and there's another stage facing each other, and I thought, you know, we should have a dueling pastor preaching thing going on. <laughs> and then we could start a YouTube channel, and man, we'd be, be an interesting church, right? Dueling preachers. That would be interesting. So, well, we're so thankful. God is, God is so good. And uh, he's so worthy of our praises. Um, as, we, uh, as we go through the Psalms, it's been really uh, amazing for me. Um, you know, I've read the Psalms my whole uh, Christian life, and they've ministered to me in so many ways. But I think this is the first time where it's really hit me how, how strong some certain themes are that run through the whole, whole collection of Psalms. And uh, it's been really interesting as we've preached through, and as a preaching team, we, we didn't, uh, we just said, pick, pick a psalm that, that God has stirring your heart, that's ministered to you, and, but it's been really interesting to see how these themes have, have been connected. And remember when we started in Psalm 1, one of the purposes of the psalms is, is God is, is addressing the inner person of who you are, of who I am. Uh, God doesn't, he cares about our physical bodies very, very much. Physical bodies are important. But God also cares about our inner person, that part of us, that identity of who we are that will exist not only in this life, but for all of eternity. Praise God. And God cares about the formation of who you are, who I am. And Psalms are, are the, the gift that God has given us to speak to that part of who we are, our inner person, who we are not only in this life, but for all of eternity. Last week, uh, we're going to pick up where Bill shared about the battle. And one of the realities that we find throughout the Psalms is that there are enemies. And uh, Bill rightly reminded us that behind every enemy is, a, is one uh, devious, evil enemy, which is Satan himself. And Satan is a, is a liar and a deceiver. And he seeks to destroy everything that God made good. He wants to corrupt and turn into evil, into brokenness, into harm. And so we see that even though there are physical, there's situations we go through, behind it there is an enemy. And Bill reminded us of that. In fact, the Bible says there's really three main ways that we are attacked in this life. The devil's behind all of it, but... The Bible says there's three enemies. The world. There's a system of this world that's not run by God, that's run by Satan himself. And it's a, it's a system that's anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-everything that's good. Everything that leads to human flourishing, this system seeks to suck the life out of it. And we, we're so inundated in that system. And it's spread all around us in our worlds and how things work and run. And so the brokenness that we experience in this life, the Bible says an enemy, it's called the world. But we have a second enemy and it's the flesh. And so that's not outside of us, that's inside of us. The Bible says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so all of us have been corrupted on the inside. And so the Bible is very clear that evil is not just out there, it's in here. And so we have this thing called the flesh. The good news is that in Christ, that, that flesh is being put to death. It's been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And now I live this life in the body and faith in Christ. And so Romans chapter 8 describes this battle that's taking place between the Holy Spirit 
which indwells God's people, and the flesh, which still remains. And so all of us can be led astray by this world. And remember, the ultimate enemy is Satan himself. And he is behind the world system, and he's behind the flesh. That's why what Bill talked about, thoughts invading our minds. <laughs> Sometimes you hear those condemning thoughts, those lying thoughts, those deceptive thoughts. All that comes from Satan, but he takes advantage of our flesh. And this morning, we're going to pick up where Bill left off, because if you remember last week, Bill said, what God has given us to confront the enemy is praise. <laughs> and so this morning, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 33. You can turn to your Bible. It's also in the bulletin. And uh, I would ask that we would stand uh, as we read the Word of God. And uh, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going we're gonna to do part of the sermon, uh, verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to take a little interlude, and then we're going to finish the psalm. So I'm only going to read verse 1 through 9, and then later we're going to finish reading. But listen to these words that God has revealed. Sing joyfully, to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting, it is beautiful for the upright to praise Him. It's beautiful that you are here to praise God. It's beautiful when our hearts are tuned to praise God. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully. Shout for joy, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful and all he does. The Lord, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry hosts, the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He, he puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. You may be seated. Tom, I don't know where's Tom. Tom's over there. I don't think it was a mistake that your guitar was out of tune this morning. <laughs> That's a great illustration of, I think, what God is talking about in Psalm 33. Now, I, I'm not a musician, so I couldn't tell your guitar was out of tune. But I think there's some musicians here. I know my wife's a musician. And when she hears an instrument that's out of tune, she wants to plug her ears. <laughs> she can't stand it. And so I think some of you hear that when a instrument is out of tune it's it's not beautiful it's painful it's it's ugly it's it's hard but but a well-tuned instrument is beautiful and i think that's what uh psalm 33 is all about it's the tuning of the instruments of our hearts did you know what pleases god more than anything else is a is a heart that it's given that loves him that's given to him and so God cares about our, our outward person, who we are physically, but he, he cares about our hearts. He cares about who we are. I love what uh, the theologian George Horn says. There is no instrument like a well-tuned affections. Well-tuned affections. That's an old word for, for our loves, our desires, our hearts. And so what Psalm 33, even though it talks about musical instruments, it's really getting to... Where is your heart? Is it tuned to God? Is your heart tuned to God? Is my heart tuned to God? You know, I love that the Psalms are filled with so much hope and that our faith as Christians is a, is a forward-looking faith. We are 
people of the resurrection. In fact, that's why we meet on Sunday mornings is because Jesus came and he died, but he resurrected. And so our faith doesn't end in death. (laughs) Our faith ends in life. It's all about life. It's about living. It's about looking forward. It's about hope. And so as we read Psalm 33, we see an instrument of the heart tuned to look forward at the hope of the glory of God, the hope of what we were created for. We were created to live. We were created to rejoice. We were created to be happy, to be blessed. That is why God made us. And he pours out blessing. There is so much hope. There is so much to look forward to as followers of Christ. This is why God made us. He made us to praise. He made us to worship. He made us to glory in who God is. There is no other glory that compares to God. In fact, this psalm very clearly points to God as creator. If you read Psalm 33, you see that he talks about two things. He talks about the why of praise, but he also talks about the how of praise. The why of praise and the how. But I'm so thankful he gave us the why. He didn't just tell us to sing. He didn't just tell us to shout. He didn't just tell us to make music. But he tells us why we do those things. And it's rooted in who God is. It's rooted in who God is. You know, when Donovan uh, designed this stage, one thing that God put on his heart that I thought was so beautiful, he says, he says God is, is shifting our worship. Or what, what did you say? He's, he's turning our worship 180 degrees. Is that, is that correct? And, and I love that because here's, here's, the, here's the temptation. We can, we can get our eyes off God onto other things. And so even as we're here, the temptation is to look at the stage. But really, we should, we should be looking up to the heavens because God is at the center of our worship, right? He is the one who is designed us to praise him. And so our affections, our, our love, our hearts are to be tuned towards him. And so when we talk about praise, the why, it starts with God. It doesn't start with us. And so the devil is a liar. And so one of his lies is, is even in church is that we get attracted to, to things that aren't God. And so we, we, we maybe choose a church because of music or, or preaching, but, but it goes so much deeper than that. God is tuning our hearts towards him and it starts with him. And so this praise that's well-tuned knows that it starts with God. It comes from who God is. It's his character. Read Psalm 33. What does it tell us about God? It tells us that he is righteous, that he is just, that he is right and true in his word and everything he says, he does. Wow. It says that the heavens were made by by him. So he's right, he's true, he loves, he's just, he's righteous, he's unfailing love, and he's the creator and sustainer of all life. Everything that is good comes from him. Wow. That's a huge shift. That's a huge shift to see God for who he truly, truly is. And so praise comes from knowing who God is. The other part of why here is, is we hear God's word. We hear God's voice. From the very beginning, God has revealed himself through his word. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. 
And he created the heavens and earth with his word. He spoke it into being. What does John 1 say? That the Jesus, the Son of God, was the word. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God is a speaking God. He is a God of word. And he has revealed himself through word. Now, we believe that there are two ways the Bible tells us God has revealed himself. One we call general revelation. And that's what Psalm 33 is pointing us to. The heavens, the sea, everything we see around us, the glory, the beauty of this place points and speaks of the reality of God as creator. In fact, Romans 1 says that Satan, he's tried to blind our eyes. He's tried to deceive us from seeing that. But but God is shouting his glory. He's shouting his beauty. He's shouting his goodness and all that we see in creation. And so we believe this is part of God's revelation. That what we see in this created world reflects that it is not God, but it points to God. (laughs) It points to who he is. This is a universe created in order. It's created in beauty. It's created in so much intricate and wonder and splendor from the minutest, smallest atoms to the the glory of the universe and all of its array of stars and galaxies and the trees and the fields of the flowers and the rocks. Everything cries out. Everything shouts that God is the creator of all. And so praise starts in knowing who God is, both in his general revelation, but also in his special revelation. Because God has not only revealed himself in his creation, but also in his word. That's what Psalm 33 says. The word of the Lord is right and true. We believe that God has spoken. He has spoken specifically through the Holy Spirit. He inspired men to, to, to reveal the real reality of who God is. This is how we know he is love. And ultimately, the fulfillment of the word is not just in its written form, but in its living form in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word of God. Do you believe that? Amen. He is the word of God. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. (laughs) He is the face of God. He embodied who God is. And this is why we can say with confidence that God is good, (laughs) that he is love. Because in Jesus, what do we see? We see service. We see he laid down his life. We see he healed. We see he he gave. He poured out his love. He lavished his grace in the words of Paul in Ephesians. And so in the person of Jesus, we learn that God is truly good, that he truly is unfailing love, that he is truly faithful, that all the promises of the written word are fulfilled in Jesus. And so that's why every psalm is a messianic psalm. Every psalm points to Jesus and who God is. And so praise, where does it come from? (laughs) It comes from knowing who God is. If we encounter the true and living God, we cannot help but praise. This, This tunes our hearts correctly, rightly. We see his power And his power is manifested not only in his creation, but also in his special revelation. His power is revealed in his word and in creation. And this results in praise. You know, we had a lightning storm 
here a few days ago and it took out our internet. So we're not even able to, to broadcast this service. But, but we were camping as a family the other uh, few weeks ago and, and a storm came out in the middle of the night and the lightning and the thunder and the roar. And, and, and my kids have gotten a little older so I don't get to cuddle them a lot. But in the middle of the night they got really close to me and they held on to me. <laughs> and I was a little scared, right? There's power. We need to be reminded that we are not God's. There's only one true God. We need to be reminded of his glory, his greatness, his power. But it's good. It's a good power that he uses for his glory. That's why Psalm 33 talks about rejoicing. It talks about shouting. It talks about singing. But it also says, let all the people revere him. There's a place for silence. There's a place for reverence. There's a a place for awe. That's why I love climbing some of these hills and climbing mountains because I need to be reminded that, Ben, you're not, so, you're not so great. You're not so big. We need to allow our hearts to be captured by the greatness and to have reverence for God because he truly is the one and only creator, maker, sustainer of all life. And so when we come to this realization, the psalm says what springs out of that correctly tuned heart those correctly tuned affections is we grow in our love for god we can't help but sing that's why people who know god are singing people people who know god are shouting people people who know god are music people we are people of reverence and silence before god we are worshiping people we are praising people because we we come into the presence of god and we cannot help it but come into that place of praise I love what C.S. Lewis said because he was struggling with belief in God and, and, and he was saying, why, why does the Bible reveal this, this reality that we're to be praising? He's like, what kind of God is this that would ask us to praise him? <laughs> is, he, is he egocentric? What, what's going on? And so one day C.S. Lewis was at an art gallery and, and there was a beautiful painting and there was a whole crowd gathered around this painting and they just began to praise the painter and they said, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Wow, how did he do that? It's amazing. And then all of a sudden C.S. Lewis says, eyes were open and he said we were created to praise and it's right to praise he said if we had stood there before that painting and we hadn't praised it would have been wrong and he said if god is truly god if he's truly who he's revealed himself to be in creation and in his word in jesus christ then it would be wrong not to praise it would be wrong not to praise because he is worthy of our praise. We are made to praise. We are praising creatures. And if we praise anything but God, then we are out of tune. And it's ugly. And it's scandalous. But when our hearts are tuned towards God, it's fitting. The psalm says it's fitting. It's beautiful. It fits. It's what we were made for. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And we're going to address the rest of the psalm. But, but application is important. Jesus said, Don't hear my word and forget about it. So I don't want to skip this. We want to take a moment and just praise. And and there's nothing wrong with being silent. There's nothing wrong with shouting. But the tension's not here. Let's remember that God himself is at the center of our praise. All right, let's finish reading Psalm 33 because there's a connection between our praise and our hope. So so this isn't just an abstract idea that we're to be singing, shouting, music-making people. This is rooted in something tangible for you and me every day. We need hope. So listen to, uh, let's read uh, verses uh, 10 through 22. The Lord foils the plans of the nations 
He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From the heaven though he looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the heart of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes his great strength. A horse is a vain hope. And I'm sorry, I lost my place. For deliverance, and despite all his great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You may be seated. So remember, we have a forward-looking faith. And so the question that I think arises in our hearts is, we see this invitation to praise, and we see who God is. But many times, our reality means that we don't always feel like praising. (laughs) Some of you have had a really tough week. I know there's some people here who've lost loved ones this week. There's, There's things that happen. There's sicknesses. There's storms, there's things that happen, there's accidents, there's terrible turmoil and chaos sometimes in our life. And so we, we say, how can we reconcile this reality that God has revealed so much of his goodness and his beauty, his love in Jesus Christ? There's this reality of creation and a special revelation. But how do we praise in the midst of suffering? Psalm 33 addresses that reality. Aren't you thankful that the word of God is profound and it cuts to the deepest places, the deepest questions that we have. And so our hope and praise comes from who God is and what he is doing in the midst of a world that has so much struggle. And so here's the challenge. I think Psalm 33 is, is, uh, is talking to us. Charles Spurgeon says, To rejoice in temporal comforts is dangerous. To rejoice in self is foolish, but to rejoice in sin is fatal, but to rejoice in the Lord is heavenly. To rejoice in the Lord is heavenly. And so the source of joy, the source of hope, we have to be careful that we don't get our eyes or our our hope in the wrong thing. Our praise comes from God and our hope comes from God. And so that's where Psalm connects praise and hope together. The Bible is full of warnings about man-centered hope. In fact, the whole story of Genesis starts with that, with Adam and Eve, when, when they thought, well, maybe it's better if we don't do it God's way. Maybe it's better if we don't praise God and we, we kind of find our own path by eating the fruits and, and taking a way that says, maybe I can figure something out that God has kept hidden from us. Maybe we can figure out a better way than God. And this story culminates in the story in Genesis about the Tower of Babel because 
people got together and they made plans. Remember, Psalm 33 says people, they have all these plans. They're, they're going to try to find blessing. They're going to try to find hope. They're going to try to find joy and other things outside of God. And they're going to try to look for all these other ways. And so they said, let's get together. Let's build this tower and then we'll be truly great. Then we won't need to worship God on his terms. We'll worship him on our own terms. We'll worship the way we want to, not the way he says or who he is. And so what we have in the story of the Tower of Babel is the battle between man's flesh and the world system and the enemy coming against God. And so the proverb says, the fool has said in his heart, no God. And so we live in a world that's rejected God, that seeks another way. And our own flesh can be drawn to that. But the Bible's very clear. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so in the Tower of Babel, we have God thwarting man's plans. And if you look at human history, I love reading human history. It's so important for us to go back and learn from history. It's a story of man trying to find another way apart from God. Whether it's individuals, nations, the whole world has tried to find other ways. It's the story of Babel. It's the story of seeking some other way, trying to find another better way than God himself. And so we live in a world, we live in a culture presently that the prevailing philosophy says everything is meaningless. That you have to make up your own story, you have to find your own identity, find your own blessing, find your own life. And so everyone's running after their own way. And we live in that culture, we live in that reality. And we see it all around us in our own hearts, our own flesh can be drawn into that. And so we begin to get our eyes off God and we begin to believe other things and trust other things and try to find hope in other things. We try to find blessing and happiness in other things. And whether it's wealth or fame, how many followers we have, our material possessions, power, and, and over people, being right about whatever. And, and the Bible says all of this is a whirlwind. It's trusting a whirlwind. There's no foundation. There's nothing that lasts. And so what does Psalm 33 say? But God is watching. <laughs> God's watching, and he's not passive. He's looking at everyone running after other things, trying to find praise in other things, hope in other things, running, running, running away from him, saying no to him, but he's watching from heaven. And what does it say? He formed our hearts. <laughs> he knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's the perfect father. He knows you. He's watching, and he's working. And it says in Psalm 33 that he has a purpose. He has a plan. All our plans, all our efforts will fail, but God's plan will not fail. This life is about God. It's his story. It's his glory. He is working. He has a purpose. The question is, will we tune our hearts to him, towards him, or will we not? There's only one of two ways. Either we will go and humble ourselves and receive God for who he is, and receive everything he has, or we will reject him and walk away. He's given us that option. He's given us that choice. And so Psalm 33 says, when we try to find meaning, purpose, hope, and anything besides God, we will be disappointed. He warns us. <laughs> Psalm 33 is an invitation to God, but it's also a warning. Like, don't, don't trust in those other things. Be careful. They look good. They look strong. They look like they will bring you ha happiness. They look like they will give you hope, but they don't last. They don't last. We need to be reminded 
of who God is. We need to be reminded of our tendency to wander away from God, to come out of tune. But here's what verse, uh, what verse 18 says. Our hope is in His unfailing love. <laughs> it's in His unfailing love. And so we're not talking this morning about working harder, getting better. It's, it's coming to this realization that we can't find our own way, that we have to open our hearts, our lives to God and receive from Him and know who He is so that we can be tuned correctly. We can live out the blessing that He has for us as a people. Our hope is in His unfailing love. This morning we're going to take communion in a little bit. God has revealed His unfailing love in the person of Jesus. And so we praise, not because our lives are better, not because we don't suffer, not because we won't go through terrible, hard things, or that we're better than others. Just the opposite. We recognize our desperate need for God's unfailing love. We don't have it all together. We need Him. We suffer. We struggle. We have all the same problems that the rest of the world has. But here's the difference. We praise Him because of who God is. Not because our lives are better, not because we're more comfortable, we're wealthier, or we have more blessings. It's because we found that the only true blessing is in Him. We praise because of who God is. That's why in the New Testament, Paul and Silas were thrown in prison and beaten. What did they do? They sang. They sang. They said, God, you are great. You are glorious. How is that possible? This is a hope in God. This is praise that comes from God's hope. Not our circumstances. Not how good our day is. On Friday, I I had the honor to be part of a a funeral service for Ron Alderson. And Bernice is here this morning. And over the last few years, um, I've gotten to know Ron and Bernice. Not in the prime of their life, but in a time of great struggle. As Ron battled sickness and illness. I've got to watch how Bernice and Ron continued to praise God, even in the middle of suffering, how they had hope, even when all their circumstances were so difficult, so hard. And at the service, I read this from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, God has done the work. We are made right because of God's work, His unfailing love. We have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in grace. Do you believe that this morning? It is by grace alone that we are able to praise, that we are able to sing, that we're able to stand, that we're able to continue and press on, whether life is great right now or it stinks. We have grace that allows us to stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And so yet on Friday, as, as we're grieving the loss of a dear brother, a husband, a father, a grandfather, grieving, we could praise, we could sing, we say, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Because our God is good. He's a resurrection God. And He gives us hope. He helps us see that this present reality will not last It says in 1 Corinthians, our outward body is wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This is the praise that Psalm 33 is talking. This is a rooted praise in the hope of God. And that's why we can boast in the hope of the glory of God, even in a crazy world and suffering. 
Even in the face of death, we can post about God's glory. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. How could Paul say that? How could he say, I suffer, but I glory in them. I rejoice in my sufferings. James says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. How is this possible? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Remember in, in Psalm 33, it said God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's redeeming. He's doing something in this world. Here's what he's doing. We know that suffering produces perseverance. God is creating something in us. He's making us into new kinds of people. Perseverance, character. And so even, even Ron's illness, even as he couldn't remember things, that character was strong because the God had produced something in him. Character, hope, hope. Psalm 33 is about hope. We praise because we have hope. We praise because we have hope. And it's hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we can go through a pandemic. We can go through whatever this world throws at us. Whatever comes our way, we can go through it and we're not put to shame. We can boast, we can sing, we can shout, we can make music, we can rejoice. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. God is good. He's doing something. He's creating something new in us. And I had the privilege of seeing that reality in Ron and Bernice over this last few years. God is doing it. He's doing it in us. It's real. It's true. And it's out of that place that we can praise because we know our God. We know his character. Would you uh, come up, worship team? We're going to take communion. We have these uh, little cups. I want to keep reading in Romans chapter 5 as we take the bread. Go ahead and take the bread out. This is what Romans 5 says. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless. Don't you love that? God's not looking for you to get it all together. <laughs> he's not here this morning pointing his finger at you. It's his unfailing love. He's, he's inviting you. He's drawing you, saying, let me do the work. While we were powerless, while we were weak, while we didn't have it together, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. For the ungodly. Not because we were better. Not because we were smarter. Not because we were better in any way. It's because we were totally lost. Yet God rescued us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. Wow. Praise his name. Would you take this bread and remember that Christ died for you? Before Jesus went to the cross. And remember, our God doesn't talk about these things from a distance. Jesus became one of us and he suffered. He came to suffer. And so if we go through any suffering in our lives, and by the way, we will suffer. Everyone will suffer in some way. But, but God is good because he suffers with us. And the cross, he shared the burden of sin. He took it upon himself. He took upon himself the insults, the accusations, the false uh, things, the violence, the hatred, the nails that were driven into his arms. He took it all and it says, this cup represents my blood which is poured out for you. And it's the new covenant. 
And so we drink this remembering that that precious blood was spilled, that death was a reality that Jesus faced, but he overcame death. And Jesus said, drink this cup with hope. (laughs) He said, drink it with hope because I'm going to drink it again with you when you come into the kingdom. And so the plan of God will not be thwarted. The plan of purposes of God will be accomplished. There will be a restoration. There will be a healing. There will be a day when everything is made right. And so we drink that, remembering that his blood is enough.